0: Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket.
1: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking and today is the power hour i've got the guys from pittsburgh power joining me and we'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance engines performance fuel mileage troubleshooting emissions electrical new technology you name it we'll talk about it all you have to do is pick up the phone and call We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. I want to welcome back the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Looks like we've got John and Ethan. I thought I saw Bruce here a minute ago, but uh, let me see if I can find him. Looks like Bruce might be MIA right now. Hey, Kevin?
2: Yeah. Kevin? Hey, uh, we had to send Ethan back to the dyno room because we have some important emissions testing going on right now. So I'm on the headset, so I turned off my cell phone.
1: Got it. So we have Bruce and John with us, and Ethan is off doing the real work. We we put Ethan back to work. That's right. We're going to goof off for a couple hours, and Ethan has to go do the real work. Exactly. So uh, what's up this week?
2: Well, we want to talk about one of the very first ISXs that we did our emissions tune-up in our uh, ECM tuning on. It's coming up on its two-year anniversary, and it's, been, it's in a W9. It's a local truck, and it's been running trouble-free, zero check engine lights. Uh, in two weeks, it'll be two years, and I'll let John tell you about that truck because he knows it personally. Yeah, it's, it's a
3: local guy here who uh, does some hard running. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not looking... He's not like our guys out looking for fuel mileage. He, he runs hard. He's in the mountains pretty often. He runs uh, 68 from Cumberland over to uh, pretty pretty consistently. And the uh, truck's been running great. Yeah, he's really, really happy with it. Uh, he, prior to this, he was thinking of getting rid of the truck and building a glider. And uh, he's happy enough with his uh, modern ISX and the performance we've been able to give him to uh, to hang on to it.
1: Well, you know, that's good to hear. Hey, and we see more and more and more of this, more engines, more, you know, new ideas, more ways around this decade-long problem we've been fighting. So it, it's really encouraging to know we have a whole bunch of new trucks that are getting really good fuel economy. We're keeping them
2: running right. Uh, it's been a long time. Kevin, we have another success story. We had a company that has 100 KWs, mostly ISXs, some Packard engines. They brought us a 2012 low mileage T660 that was in Kenworth 28 times. They said it usually will break down before it gets from the Kenworth dealer back to their garage. <laughs> They brought it, gave it to us, and said, keep it as long as you want it. We installed it, Dorothy, did our emissions tune-up on it, and our emissions clean-up. And it's running now. It's about a month now, and it's been trouble-free. They're absolutely shocked at, uh, at the fact that we've had it one time. And we tell people on a problem shot like this, we may need to see you three times. And we told them to call us as soon as they get their first check engine light. So far, no check engine light. So that was a success story. And I also wanted to say I've only got to drive one X-15, and that was Kelvin Hicks' truck, one of your listeners. I was shocked at how smooth that was. It almost felt like a General Electric under the hood. It, regardless of what RPM, the engine was smooth and consistent and there was never ever a shutter even on our steepest hills here whenever I would run it um, I want to say wide open but I was bobtailing but I was blown away by how smooth that engine actually was that new x15
1: well I don't know that anybody's criticized Cummins more in the last 10 years than I have but uh, I've got to give them credit they've they've recovered that X fifteen is turning out to be an impressive engine. You know, Bruce, that that truck with twenty eight breakdowns, those were the kind of stories that that made me start telling people stop buying these trucks. You can't afford this as an owner operator. You know, if you end up with one of those trucks that just keeps going back to the shop and they can't fix it, you're going to go broke. Uh, but now we 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 know we can fix it. You guys are doing it. You're keeping them running right they're getting good fuel economy we're not having those high maintenance costs and all that downtime so again it's it's just i I remember 10 years ago saying there will come a day when we'll be able to buy new trucks again i just don't know when
2: it's going to be it looks like it's here
4: right
2: and then i want to say one other thing we get a lot of phone calls from people that are going to the truck stop tuners And some of these guys are doing partial deletes, brutalizing the emission systems. And the newer trucks actually are working very well, especially once you put the Dorothy on it. And they call us on the phone, and they keep telling us what their truck's doing. And my answer is, you're going to have to make an appointment and bring it in so we can see what's been butchered on your truck. I can't fix it over the phone. And... I mean, one guy just called me, he's in Iowa. That's why Iowa's not that far away. (laughs) Get a load coming this way, and let's fix it. Yeah, well. And and how, how can you, you have to, we try to be very nice, and this happens probably 15 times a day. And it makes it very, very difficult to try to diagnose somebody else's work, especially when it's been half done.
1: Well, and, you know, we've talked about this before. When when somebody made a mechanical change on a truck, you can usually see it. You, you know what work has been done. The ECM, you can't. You've got to get in there. And how many parameters are there on an ISX ECM? Tens of thousands?
2: Seven, 17,000. I forget the exact number, but yeah. it's slightly greater than 17,000.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So you can't diagnose that kind of stuff over the phone. It takes time to go in there and see what they've done, what they've changed, and most likely what they've screwed up. Yeah. So hey, hey, Bruce. Anyway, did did you see our next four wheeler? I posted about it today.
3: (laughs) The the Nikola. Yeah, that's the one you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see your post but I've been following it I actually have friends that are on the engineering team for that at uh, at Pratt Miller where it's been designed and developed so that's
2: uh so I, I had some inside info on that one hey hey Bruce so Kevin from the time I walk through the door from the time I walk through the door till the time I leave and I have a magazine article that was due on Friday and it's still not finished and then we have a group of wonderful owner operators here today and I love to take the time and talk with them and and go and walk around their truck with them throw time to look at other things
1: well i'll keep you updated because it's what i do all day long so it's a a four-seater side-by-side you know off-road atv so you know what i'm talking about pretty good size Mm four-seater um the company that's building the nicola hydrogen electric truck is building these, and the first application is actually going to be for the military. But this is a four-seater side-by-side, fully electric, 550 horsepower. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How wide is it? It's not very wide at all. That's what, that was one of the interesting things. Without the engine, again, they have freedom to build different shapes. We've always built vehicles around the engine and the drivetrain. This one's actually pretty narrow. It, it's, uh, it's interesting to look at it. You can see it's significantly more narrow than most uh, side-by-sides
3: are. Hmm. Yeah, it, it looks like a pretty, you know, the, the shape and size is your pretty average side-by-side shape. It's nothing, nothing special. No. Uh, I, not much bigger or anything. So I can't imagine how that thing goes. 450 horsepower has got to be a blast. 550. 550. For five fifty? Oh, I thought it was four fifty. Okay.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. That's got to be fun. Here's three times more horsepower than the Polaris Turbo.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's cool. What's their range? I did, like I did not read the art. I knew about it, but I didn't didn't read the the article. So uh, there's actually one out testing and running now, right?
1: They are saying uh, about a hundred and thirty mile range, and. 470 foot pounds of torque
2: Wow yeah what does it what does it
1: weigh uh, I don't know if I saw the weight
2: anywhere on here
1: let me uh, let me get to a break I'll scroll through this really quick and see if I see a weight we're gonna get to a break we're gonna come back we'll be getting to your calls and questions as well stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. Right now we're talking about the uh, electric side-by-side that Nikola is putting out. So I couldn't find a weight anywhere, but, you know, it's almost like some of the truck specs we're seeing from Nikola and Tesla. You start looking at all the things that are improved on when we don't have to build around that big drivetrain. So this thing has all the things you would want out of a side-by-side. It has more of. More horsepower, more torque, more speed, uh, more ground clearance, more suspension travel. It's got virtually more of everything. It does 0 to 60 in 3.9 seconds.
3: That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and they say I'm I'm trying to look for the I'm I'm trying to look for the weight also. I uh, can't find it. Yeah, I I, I pulled I pulled the article up and showed it to Bruce.
1: Yeah, I couldn't find the weight anywhere. But they also talk about how well it handles and how sticky it feels. You know, as far as tipping, because again, they put all the weight at the very lowest point. Because the, the, all the weight is in the batteries and they can put the batteries down really low and it gives it a very low center of gravity.
3: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The, and the electronic controls too give you some options. They could they could do a traction control that is far superior to anything you'd be able to do with a uh, gasoline or diesel engine as well. So they could sense slip pretty easily and, and keep it at the shall we say threshold acceleration at all times. I uh, rode my son back to college on Sunday, and we had a long talk about the, about the Tesla sports car. And, you know, his, his feeling was the tires are the limiting factor, and how could it be that much faster than the Bugatti? And we came to the conclusion that, you know, the horsepower to weight with has so much power that the weight doesn't bother so much. It probably helps uh, with traction and uh, the controls, you know, the ability to control slippage uh, and actually put the maximum amount of torque that that tire will take to the ground is uh, is huge. I mean, that's well beyond. And pulling the power away from a from a gasoline or a diesel motor, you know, once it senses you know, that the tire's spinning, that there's got to be a much, uh, you know, wider frequency of uh, of you know killing power and regaining power to keep the traction on the limit. So the the frontiers are endless with this whole electric thing. It's it's to me it's it's everything about it amazes me right now. Me too. Um, You know, and here's the thing. Uh, The
1: news right now in trucking is completely dominated with two topics, autonomous and now electric. I completely understand why drivers get really upset with autonomous. I I get it. I I completely understand. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking about it and posting because we've got to stay on top of that. We have to watch it. It's going to change everything. What I didn't understand what I don't understand and what I was surprised about was the negative reaction I got to the Tesla truck. What I don't understand why that would be such a negative thing for drivers and owner operators when we look at all the potential that could have
3: I see it as performance. You know, it just blows me away the capabilities. So like I said last week that, that Tesla truck will, you know, no pun intended will smoke the, the hottest cat we've ever built. Yeah. I mean it's not yeah. even close. We can achieve numbers like
2: that with, a, with, a, with, a, with an IC engine. No way. I don't know. I'm old school, so I still <laughs> like the internal combustion engine. I want to be able to control it. I'm against crosswalks where people can be texting and not have to look up and expect vehicles to stop. I'm against the 14-hour drive rule. There's a lot of things that I'm against anymore. I guess I'm just getting too old.
1: <laughs> well, I'm with you on the drive. And I want to control
2: my vehicle. I, I'm with you on a lot of that and, stuff. And you know what else, Kevin? Go ahead. The, the new vehicles now, you don't even have to look in your mirrors to back up because there's a camera. And now the new cars that are going to stop themselves. So we're going to have people say, oh, I don't have to worry about touching the brake. The young millennials, I mean, it's a lazy group of people. They've never okay. had to do physical work. They're going to get out there. They're going to tell, oh, why do I have to touch the brake? The car's going to brake itself. And then, whenever it runs into something, it's going to be somebody else's fault. And I, I'm just against a lot of this now. Now, I, I think they're great features, and I like the blind spot feature some of the new vehicles have, and the adaptive cruise control where it'll slow down and accelerate. But the new young people are going to become very lazy. Have you had anybody just walk out in front of you, Kevin, on these crosswalks? At Some politician has put through. I I stopped in Denver, Colorado last year. I said to a guy, do you have a death wish? You didn't even look. You're in your your cell phone. Look before you stepped out in front of all this traffic. There was four lanes of traffic.
1: Bruce, let let me give you another take on that, because I agree with you in one big way, but I disagree in another big way. Here's the thing. People are glued to their phones. I, you see it everywhere. It makes me insane. They, whether they're eating, driving, walking, everybody is staring at their phone. And I don't know what's going to change that. I, I will not walk on the side of the road anymore. I won't ride a bike anywhere near a road anymore because I'm afraid somebody's going to run me over while they're texting. It, it's gotten that bad that I think about it constantly when I'm on the road. So we're not getting rid of that, not that I can see. So if people are going to be glued to their phones, I want them driving vehicles that will stop without them paying attention because I don't want to get run over by these people. Exactly. I'd much rather have them sitting in a Tesla with the autopilot engaged if they're going to be texting on their phone. At least the car is paying attention.
2: Okay, well, I see your point there. Right. So, so let me ask you this. You and I have never talked about this 14-hour rule. I like to sleep four hours. I like to work two, three, four hours, and go back to sleep four more hours. And when I'm driving, I like to sleep twice. That's how I drive my best. Thomas Edison was the same way, and he was the world's greatest inventor. And his saying was, you sleep when you're tired, and you work when you're awake. And it doesn't matter what time it is. Why? And I hear truck accidents are at an all-time high. Is that correct?
1: You know, it's like any statistic. You can twist it any way you want. Um, They might be at an all-time high, but you can also find a statistic that says 80 to 90% of the time it wasn't even the truck's fault. It was the the car's fault. So it's hard to say whether or not, and this is the argument, you know, people are thinking ELDs are going to cause more accidents. They might. We don't know. It's the law of unintended consequences. The problem is, I don't think we'll ever know for sure anyway. Because I've taken classes on statistics. You can make statistics say anything you want. You can take the same bunch of data and come up with totally different conclusions. And that's what virtually everybody, certainly the media, does. They take the statistics, they twist it so it makes their point look better. So, but let's just get back to the 14 hour rule. I couldn't agree with you more. The worst change they've ever made to the hours of service they should have never implemented it. They are talking about taking it away again uh, and going back to the more flexible version where you could stop that 14 hour clock and you could split your drive and, and sleeper time and that's that's pr- the the biggest reason why at towards the end, I started saying, "Look let, let's just bring on the ELDs. We we lost this. We should have fought it five years ago. We didn't. And now let's just... I don't want a two-year extension. That's just going to make everybody miserable for another two years. Let's just get it over with, bring in the ELDs, and then maybe we'll finally get real change to the hours of service because it, we haven't had any good change in 60 or 70 years of those rules the one change that they did make, everybody hates. So maybe the ELDs will force this, and we'll get back to some rules that actually work.
2: Kevin, when I was driving my Kenworth and pulling my RV and heading west to go work, whether it's a truck show or an RV show, sometimes I would... And use it was in the evening after working all day. I would get as far as Youngstown, Ohio hour and a half away and i was in the bunk yeah yeah and i I would sleep four or five hours yep and that and then i was good for five six seven hours and then i would take four more hours and my other rule to keep from being aggravated from four wheelers when i was in rush hour traffic was to stop at the last rest area or truck stop if it'd be four or five o'clock go to bed for two hours Wait till 7 p.m. and then drive through the town and not be aggravated. But we've taken that away. So I'm going to start a paragraph about this, and I'm going to talk with the several owner-operators about their concerns with the 14-hour rule and put it in the magazines, and I'm going to try to get it to President Trump. I, I think I can get the articles to him. I'm reading them, so let's, let's try to get them right to the president.
1: I've uh, I've got an initiative I'm working on in a couple groups I'm talking about to, uh, talking with, uh, to do some of the same things. So let me know when you've got the articles done, because uh, I, I, I think it's time to get real change in hours of service. And then I don't think the ELD mandate is such a big deal. We're going to get to a break. We're going to come back. We will get to your calls and questions. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power, and uh, we're going to get to some phone calls. So we're going to start off in Illinois. Danny, welcome to the program.
5: Hello. Uh, good afternoon there, guys.
1: Good afternoon. What's on your mind today?
5: Hey, Dan. Yeah, um, I, I got a, a couple of questions for you there. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, like, one of them was about a, an admission delete on an ISX. I don't know if we're supposed to
1: talk about that on this, or no matter time, or I wasn't really sure about it. Hey, I'm hey, Dan, apps. hey, Danny. It sounds like you're about 20 feet away from your phone. Can you uh, get it? Get a little yeah, closer. Yeah, hold
5: on. Let me take the Bluetooth out
1: there. Okay. Yeah, it's having a hard yeah, time. Yeah. Right can now. you hear me better now? That's much better. Go
5: ahead. Hello, right now. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, now I had the bluetooth on there. Yeah, I had a a couple questions. One of them was about um an admission delete, but I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk on that on the on the program or not, so I thought I'd ask first if I it out, right?
2: Well, but you, if if you did yours, you're giving yourself away right now because you have no idea who's listening to this. But you know, we don't do that here. But we can right. help you the truck fix it the proper way if you've already deleted it and you have problems i can still help you because uh, the rule is i have to make your truck run better and cleaner than when it came in and we can do that
5: okay um well it's running all right i just didn't know something they left out there but um was important or not but i guess um i'll get to the other one that's more important than that one right um I have I have a it's a two thousand Peterbilt. Um, well, Bruce, you you was up there. Remember, I was up there about three weeks ago on the dyno up there. Uh, remember, we had the uh, the trailer outside out front of the bay <laughs> with the RV one. Yes, uh, the burgundy one. Okay, you guys had you had me on the dyno and all that stuff. And when um, when I had left out of there, when I got home, I had uh, my axles where uh, one of my axles was heating up on the on the front. And uh, and it was uh, and it, and it turned out it was like they had put the brakes on the upside down. What happened was is I had the whole rear end taken apart and they were doing S cams and the bushings and all that stuff in the in the arms. And it sat for about a month. And when they went to go put it back together, I guess the guy didn't know which one went on the bottom, so they they reversed the brakes when they put it together. So I guess that's what made it kind of uh, like like uh, locked up or something it was it was catching like binding i guess uh, have you guys ever heard anything like that never have
2: no i haven't
3: yes
5: i know okay. there's a leading um, the
3: trailing well, uh, uh there should be a leading and a trailing shoe so they they had them on backwards that's what would have happened and It probably would have created some extra heat but it could have anyway i don't know that it, i don't know that it absolutely would have kevin might know more about this than i but uh, that shouldn't have really been the problem. If they were hanging up for some reason, that's, a, that's another story.
5: Okay. Yeah, because what, what we did is um, we, we changed all the brakes out and then uh, did one trip miles and then came back, and it was still catching up. One axle was still catching up, so we went ahead and changed out the brake drums, and then still, it's you know, you put it up in the air, and that front tire, it, 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 it like, stops itself. You know, it won't roll freely. I was just wondering if you guys hmm. ever heard anything about that. You know they're adjusting um, the brakes. Yeah, yeah. The brakes when they're when they're adjusted right, um they they're when they're adjusted right, they'll they'll heat up, all of them will heat up. But when you know, to get home I had to back it off. A little bit like a quarter on that axle and it got me home without, you know, smoking or anything like that. But um yeah, they, they you know, they tried to back it off and it was still catching. Like still uh, stopping itself, I guess. Give us a call on the uh, on
2: the landline after the show, and let's talk more about that.
4: Okay.
5: Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give you guys afternoon there because you guys go home at uh, four, right? Five o'clock. Five o'clock. I Five believe
2: at four thirty today, but uh, um, yeah, try to call us say three thirty, four o'clock. If I'm not available, ask John. Yeah, well, I talked to you last week about your oil analysis; that was terrific.
3: So that's—I uh, remember that. Yeah, uh,
1: John um, Bruce, have you guys looked at the Brake Safe product we have in our store?
2: I look at them at the show. I don't know a whole lot about them because we don't do a lot of brake work. But um, we actually have
3: a couple of those on the shelf right now. We—I ordered some. We, okay, we get customers good. in quite often uh, that want it. Uh, usually, tribe members. So we've got uh, we do have that in stock, and we've installed uh, quite a few of them. So you know, the the I think last time I ordered valve uh, axle sets.
1: The the initial reason for it is it just makes your daily inspection drop dead simple. You know, if you have the brake safe and the Aero Logger, and they're super easy to install. Literally, you walk around the truck at any given time and you see the status of your brakes. With the aero logger on there, you know exactly where your farthest pushrod movement went to. So you don't have to get under and do all the measuring and you know screwing around with that. But the more you play around with the brake safe, the more you realize it's a really good diagnostic tool for problems like this. It, it will highlight a lot of what's going on.
3: Yeah, I, I love it. It's a little telltale for the brakes. It you exactly how far it's traveling. And yeah, you know, we've got them. I think we've got two trucks worth in stock. Good. I was Good. talking to them. I forget the fellow's name right now about uh, us being a dealer, and they're trying to work a deal out with Landstar. I know uh, to have your maintenance account buy it for you. That there's something in the works there that you may see an announcement on soon on the brake safe. But uh, yeah, I'm a fan of that product for sure.
1: Yeah, we're a dealer and I was the one that kind of introduced them to Landstar on this, so hopefully that does uh, that does go through. So it's a great product. This is one of those products again that absolutely should be a factory item. This is something the manufacturers should have come up with a long long time ago. The the stupid way we have to do, you know, a brake measurement especially by yourself is ridiculous. And this is such a simple fix to that. The You know, the other thing we see all the time with this product is when the uh, safety officers see it. They love this thing because for them, it's the same thing. It, it's just an easy way without getting under there and measuring. And once they see it, I think they also realize that if an owner-operator took the time to to spend a little money and put this on this truck, they're probably really paying attention to inspection items. So... We've had drivers tell us, you know, the the safety officer saw that and, and actually didn't even bother finishing the inspection, it, and they just wanted to talk about that product. So that's pretty cool. How, have you seen the um, the NIC's cotter pin for the oh, yeah. for yeah, the, the rotating
3: clip? cotter pin? Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, it will keep the uh, keep the, uh, clevis pin uh, moving all the time so it doesn't freeze. That's yeah, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, what a what a crazy. Idea and you know the twists and turns on that thing. I looked at it. I'm like, what is this? And then when I saw it work, I'm like, that's just <laughs> brilliant. Anybody who's fought to get one of those clevis pins yep. out has to appreciate that.
3: <laughs> yep.
1: All right. Let's uh they
3: say true genius is simple. Any yeah. any 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 fool could complicate something.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. All right, let's keep get, it simple. Keep yeah. it simple, stupid. That's right. Let's uh let's go to Washington. Chad, welcome mm-hmm. to the program.
6: Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Good. Um I uh, bought a truck 5 months ago. It's a 2012 Cascadia with uh DD15 and my engine malfunction light keeps on coming on. Um, and I get a couple of different faults. I got a ENG2 nox in sensor and an EEC nox in sensor. And um, about a month ago, they started. They would go off after a couple of days, and then come back on, and then go off after a couple of days. But about a month ago, they. It would come on and stay on, you know, for a whole trip, five thousand, six thousand miles, and ended up changing out my DPF filters, uh, thinking that, you know, that would kind of clean everything up and down in there and stop those from going off. And um, they, I got that done, and they just see it seems to come on and stay on. I have noticed that um, when I hit the Jake break, the last time the light actually went off and I tested this, um, I hit the Jake break and it popped that light right on. And I was just wondering if you guys had any suggestions for me.
1: Let's hold these suggestions for just a second because the music just started. I've got to get to a break. Uh, John, will come back and we'll let you address that right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the calls. We were talking with Chad in Washington. John, go ahead.
3: I just wanted to say be careful with those knock sensor errors. If it actually is malfunctioning or if it's giving an erroneous reading somewhere before it actually sets the code or the light, Uh, you'll have a lot of knock-on effects. So what happens is that the the upstream knock sensor will actually control how much EGR is administered to the engine and how much DEF is injected into the decomposition tube. So what will happen is if you're, you know, one end or the other of that scale and you're not reading to the ECM, you're going to have extra EGR, which is going to cause you problems. you also have extra uh, DEF uh, that will also cause you problems that could potentially clog the decomp tube, or do some damage to the catalytic converter itself. So uh, that's one that you don't really want to mess with. Uh, you might be able to get away with taking it out and cleaning it. Uh, it's it's very kin to an O2 sensor on a uh, gasoline engine. So you can uh, heat it up with a propane torch and clean it with a with a wire brush, uh, or replace it. I mean, which probably would be the uh, the best bet. And the thing, you know, going off when you hit the Jake, I don't know. That, that's got to do some crazy stuff with the uh, Mixture and what that thing is sensing, so it might be pulling it into a range where it's uh, where it's happy. But uh, you could create uh, more problems if you've got some erroneous uh, numbers coming from that knock sensor.
6: Okay, so my best bet is take it in and get those those sensors. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, your your DPF filters have nothing to do with it. So that's uh, the DPF happens okay. after. There's a knock sensor before both of those. So the you NOx know, sensor giving not such that not not very good numbers could actually accelerate the deterioration of the DPF. But changing the DPF would do nothing to, to save you from the uh, NOx problems.
6: All right. Well, when I get back home, I'll uh, make sure to take it in and uh, get those those replaced.
3: Yeah, if you could get over here, I mean we could it. do one of our maintenance if, if uh, depending on the amount of miles on this truck and the uh, the Detroit's are a little. Uh, better than the Cummins in, in some ways in this regard, but uh, if that's never that system's not ever been man- maintained, you know, if someone's not gone through all these sensors and cleaned them up and checked all the wiring and all the resistance of the, of the other sensors and uh, cleaned the uh, the whole EGR tract and so forth, it's it's worth having done. So if you could ever get our way, I know you're on the other side of the country, but if you could ever get out this way, it'd be worth going through the uh, on it, yeah, especially if you're in the half million and up uh, mile range. Uh, so definitely you know, got to get a fresh start and get this stuff all cleaned up
1: there you go let's uh, let's head off to north dakota john welcome to the program
4: hi kevin i got a uh, p379 with uh, cat 3406 just wondering what are the signs that your radiator is going bad
1: uh, if you In come general. if you come out one morning and there's three or four gallons of antifreeze on the ground, that would be a pretty good sign.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's one of them, anyway. Yeah, and a
3: bunch and a bunch of uh, a bunch of turquoise green corrosion all over it. <laughs> yeah. Um,
4: yeah, I, I so. just had it steam cleaned, and I'm still having
3: issues with my temperature building up. But, Was it the, uh,
4: the rabbit? They steam clean the radiator. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. They steam cleaned the radiator and the charge air cooler got all the dirt out of it and I'm still having uh issue with the water temperature building up. I'm wondering if the inner inside cooling pipes would be bad on it. Uh, how how
3: old is it? radiator
4: 98 brand. oh
3: yeah there's
2: there, theres a good new. chance to build up in there this mm-hmm. is a ni- I had to step away this is a 98 truck what kind of truck uh Pete
4: 370 379 with a uh cat 3406.
2: and it's and this is the original radiator yes oh on <laughs> All right, here, yeah, are you driving right now? Yes. All right, I'm going to give you some figures. Your rad with a 550 cat comes with 234 tubes. If that would have right. a, a Detroit in it, it would come with 177 tubes, three rows, and 177 right. versus 234. Our 379 rad has 400 tubes. There's 100 tubes per row, four rows. The easiest way to look to see if you have a good radiator is to look at the tubes, and if they're on a 3/8 inch center, that means it's a great rad. If you, if they're 5/8 half inch, that means there's not enough tubes. And then the fins carry the heat away from the rad factories use 14 fins per inch we put 16 fins per we bring the tubes closer together and then we add more fins we put as much in there as we possibly can if you go more you're going to stop the airflow so that's the difference between the rads if you put our rad in there and it's about $2,250 it's a thousand more than buying one from Peterbilt but you're getting double the rad and you'll never have to hardly ever look at your colon temp gauge because it will not go up. But that's Hmm. the difference, 234 versus 400. Um, Plus our tubes are dimpled, which means the colon touches the sides more, where yours are straight through and the colon just drops down through.
4: Okay. Thank you very much for the info. uh, That's probably all clogged up on the inside, so thank you very Uh, much for that.
2: It's just too old. Truck RADs today, the newer RADs, last five to six years. So, All right.
1: Let's uh, squeeze in another call before we've got to wrap this one up. We're going to head off to Missouri. Chad, it's your turn.
0: Hey, guys. I've got an 08 ISX, uh, and I'm having some oil, ple- oil pressure fluctuation issues. Um, not losing oil pressure, but going down the road, say right now it's at 36 to 37 pounds, and it will gradually drop to 20 pounds and come back up. You know, it's not an instant drop like it's the gauge. I've replaced the sensor. The gauge is good. It's just a gradual fluctuation. Is there something in the bottom as far as, uh, I know there's a regulator in the oil uh, pump itself. I know there's another regulator over above the, the oil filter, the full flow filter, uh, or, uh, you know, could bearings cause an issue like this?
3: I'd, I'd have to lean toward one of the regulators. The uh, blow off valve, the spring in uh, the pump, I know has been problematic with the ISXs. Uh, I've heard of somewhere online there's a repair kit available for that with a stiffer spring and a different plunger. Uh, I've not personally done it or seen it, but we've had a customer who had a kit in his and when we did a, did a major overhaul on his truck, he made sure we put the spring and plunger from his uh, old pump into the new one. Uh, I don't believe the one in the filter head will do that. It just bypasses the filter. It doesn't bypass to the sump, so that one would simply okay. uh, eliminate the filter if there was a problem. Nor do I think okay. the regulator in the or, or the uh, thermostat in the in the cooler would. So. I, I've got to believe that the uh, just just from what I've heard. I, I don't have much personal experience with it other than what I've heard around the shop. Uh, but
0: I'd go with the uh, the, the the relief valve in the pump. Okay, uh, this is the original oil pump. You know, one point one five million on it. I got right. no problem replacing it. If that's if that's the direction. Uh, the one other thing I'll is tell
3: you, I. I've also seen pickup tubes in ISXs crack. I've seen cracks in pickup tubes and in, in ISXs that could create some, could pull some air, which would create a fluctuation like that as well. And if that pump's never been apart, there, I believe there's an O-ring on the pickup tube as well that could be, uh, you know, after so many heat cycles, rubber's going to harden up and it's not going to seal as well as it once did. So you could be drawing some air in through there as well. So and if that it's, can be checked know, from the bottom end, right? Level, Absolutely. Yeah, drop the pan and take a look at all that stuff. Or just plan on putting the uh, – I'd get a pump kit from uh, get the whole pump kit from Cummins and uh, maybe do a little research on that relief valve uh, deal that's out there. And yeah, look closely at the pickup tube as well. So I, I've seen one crack, actually. There's a bracket on it that's welded on. Uh, and welds are always stress risers. So take a look around the weld to, on the bracket for the pickup tube to make sure there's no cracking there.
0: Okay, that's great because the last thing was uh, start just a little bit of lead, you know, in the oil samples. Nothing crazy, but it's more than I've ever seen before, and I wanted to hope hope to find a direction. I guess
3: well, lead is the first thing the bearing loses. So if you, you do, if you do have some bearing degra- degradation uh, related to the oil pressure, that would uh, be the first sign. So yeah, I'd,
0: I'd get that taken care of. Okay, thank you very much.
3: You're
1: welcome. Thanks for the call. That's going to do it. I'm looking at the clock. We're going to have to wrap this up and get out of here. We'll do it again real soon. Check out the website. It's Let'sTruck.com. Thanks to John and Bruce from Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you next time. Hey, don't forget to check out our app for listening to this show. We have a new app. Does one thing. Does it really well. The app is free, you download it, you open it up, you can listen to all of our shows. You can listen live on the weekends, you can listen when we record, it doesn't get preempted because of sports, and you can go back and listen to any show you want. We have shows loaded in that app that go all the way back to 2010. So check it out. Go to your app store, search for Audio Road, one word, A-U-D-I-O-R-O-A-D, Audio Road, We'll see you next time. I'm Kevin Rothford. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Your money, your
0: taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the
1: trucking. All right, we're going to do a second hour. Here we go.
0: Texas, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs,
4: back in your pocket.
1: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the power hour. I've got John and Bruce with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, troubleshooting, emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to your calls in just a little bit. I want to welcome back John and Bruce. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you for having us, Kevin. It's always a pleasure.
1: John? Is John with us?
3: There <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> there he is. He was hiding. Uh, Bruce had me distracted. We were looking <laughs> at uh, our, our travel plans for tomorrow. We're heading your way tomorrow. Oh, that's I don't know right. If you're up on that. but That's, that's right. Yeah, he had the map open, and I opened it up on my phone while I was waiting for you there but hey. uh yeah so we're we're heading out to uh meet with Packard on Thursday so that'll be interesting I've got hey. I've got one guy from uh, he's a show listener. I don't know if he's on today or not but we had a fellow from uh, Freightliner who'd been emailing me I was thinking of shooting him an email to see if we could maybe get a tour there also ah uh, while, while we're out in the area
1: yeah well that'd be cool John do, do you like wings nearly as much as Bruce does <laughs> Maybe more. <laughs> good, because we're going to be doing wings. I've got the fir- yeah. fryer all fired up.
3: You <laughs> <laughs> got can I, can I any good local craft brews, or should I stop at Miniman's or somewhere?
1: Oh, so. um, no, we've got a uh, – you know this area. We are in a town, about 1,000 people. You know the old joke that, you know, my my hometown only had one stoplight? We don't even have one. There is not a single traffic light in this town. Not one. We have a couple stop signs, but uh, that's how small it is. But we have our own craft brewer right here in town, down on the river.
2: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Saxonburg only. Saxonburg has no traffic lights either. The only traffic light we have is coming out of our industrial park that we're in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so plenty of craft brews. We've got a... You know, you've been to Hood River. It's right up the street. Bunch of craft breweries there. We've got some across the river mm-hmm. in Washington. Mm-hmm. They pop up here in people's garage. I mean, this is the craft brew capital of the world.
3: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, 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 I look forward to it. Just about a year out there in 1999, 90, uh, in Portland, was 99, 2000, I was working for a team that was based there and spent a whole lot of time there. I went off for the whole winter to build cars.
1: Oh, okay. It was, it was there
3: for the full winter and then in and out the rest of the rest of the summer. So I, I love the area; absolutely love it.
1: Good, good. Well, we're we're looking forward to it. So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, electric. You know, t- the electric truck Tesla announced. Nikola's still working on theirs. I still have some issues with Nikola. I wish they would take down that one stupid paragraph they have on their website because I want to like that truck. I really do. But their crazy claim about $1,000 a day in increased revenue. I, I don't know what somebody was smoking when they put that up there, but I just, I'm going to shame them until they take it down. Because as long as that's up there, I have a hard time talking positive about this thing. But i am I'm... I'm amazed uh, I still feel with,
3: bad about calling them paperware I, I, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that was not a, uh, I, I genuinely feel feel bad about that <laughs> I, 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 do, I do
1: too because I, 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 I was bad about them at all I, I was really hard on them in the beginning but I look at what they're putting together and you know last show we talked about their their side by side that looks pretty awesome um, but I just wish they would get rid of those stupid numbers they're throwing around whoever wrote that had no clue how the trucking industry works. I mean, they they are so far off base on that, it's not even funny. Um, But they've put together a pretty impressive list of partners. So I I was with you. I called it vaporware. I'm still not sure they can pull this off because it, it is wildly ambitious. But the more I see, the more I think maybe they can um, but speaking of electric and some of the the stuff that's going on with that, um, did you see what uh, they what Tesla just built in Australia?
3: I did. Yeah, the, the big battery pack. The, the whole—I'm pretty sure that's what's going to save uh, Puerto Rico as well. But that—that was—and he did it in a hundred days. Did you see the amount of time it took to to do it?
1: He made a bet. With with the government in Australia that if he couldn't build this battery in 100 days, he would give it to them free. That's gutsy. Because this is... What was the cost of this thing? He it was. Did it. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, so he pulled it off. You know, he... Yeah. I don't know what the cost... I think they were talking like $100 million that this battery cost? Yep. And, and so they were speculating... Uh-huh that Tesla's cost is probably north of $50 million. So if they would have had to have given this away, um, that would have been a pretty big thing. But they pulled it off. It's 100- $100 million. Would
3: have, would have yeah, it would have been a career ender there. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Who, who does that?
3: Again, we, we need to think of them, uh, you know, guys like that, you know, Nikola Tesla himself was crazy, you know, so, so the whole thing, it's, it's what it takes. These projects don't happen without somebody who's completely outside the box, just just, just doing it, and it, it it's brilliant. Um, you know, again, we have to think of those companies, Nikola included, as a tech company more so than a truck manufacturer or a car manufacturer, because they are proving concepts and they're 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 proving that it can be done. And you know, the bigger players are going to be the ones that make it really happen. So, but uh, you know, the, they they will they will prove the concept, and other things will you know will, will progress from there. And you can't stop technology you just can't it's uh it's it's impossible yeah but, te- uh, the battery technology to me is what blows me away and that's a lot of the naysayers on the truck and everybody talks about well, you know that just that, that, that defies the laws of of batteries and I've read up and there's some truth to it, but that technology changes daily uh it to me it's you know you've got chemists, you've got engineers, you've got physicists working on this non stop you know it's uh it's 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 a big deal it's a really big deal so and, you know, and you look at the applications like that battery pack you did in Australia. They're going to learn from that. There are things they're going to learn from that that are going to help make the truck possible. So there's there's a lot to it, and and it's like I said that I love performance. I absolutely love performance. So so to me, it's about that. Uh, if we've gained you know serious efficiency, just as you know, I'm a big fan of being able to store. You know, not waste energy. You know, your, your brakes make heat. That's, that's energy. So if we could slow the truck down electrically and, and store that energy from slowing the truck down and use it again, that's, that's a huge deal alone. Um, so it's, uh, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal.
1: You know, the, it really is. And a couple more things on this battery and just on Tesla and, and Elon Musk. You know, most of the times when records get broken, they get broken by just a little tiny bit. You know, we make these little tiny incremental changes, especially when we're talking about something like a record. Well, this is the largest battery in the world, the largest battery ever built. The prior record, this is three times bigger. So he didn't beat a record by just a little tiny bit. He, He completely eliminated the other record. Who cares about the other battery? This one's three times bigger. It's a 100-megawatt battery that could power 30,000 homes.
3: That's, that's a big deal.
1: Yeah, that that's a, a really big deal. You know, the other thing we, we haven't been talking about with electric, and, you know, I mentioned this on the last show. I, I'm not sure why drivers are so negative about this. I'm excited about this. I mean, and again... We're going to have internal combustion engines for a long time. Go ahead, Bruce.
2: I have a question about that big battery, Kevin. It still has to be charged.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: That battery has to be charged.
1: Yeah.
3: But anything could dump into it. It could be solar. It could be be, uh, waves. It could could be tidal energy going into it. It it could be. What the battery does, the storage does, is gives you an opportunity to store it that you don't have now. Correct. If a windmill is dumping into a grid, it's just dumping into a grid. It's not being stored. If uh, if, uh, if uh, solar panels aren't aren't are storing energy it, without the storage, none of it makes sense. But storage is what makes re- renewables possible. Right. Without storage, it doesn't work. Yep. Uh, with storage, it works. So uh, that's that's what what has to happen.
2: Yeah, that, that's the thing here. we well, you know, Kevin, you have go ahead, Bruce. Go ahead. You're talking about you have to have a little craziness on your, and, and to be an inventor, you you do have that on your staff. You you know that. I do. And he lives over in Yakima. Yeah, he lives in
1: Yakima. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking about that that yesterday. In um, his, we, we I, I was teaching a class yesterday, and we were talking about personality traits and strengths, and and his is definitely his number one is a creator, um, which. You know, you can certainly see in in what goes on around here. There's the music. I've got to get to a break. We're going to come back, um, see what else we've got, and then we're going to get to your calls and questions. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. Um, I've got one more thing on the electric, and then we'll see if you guys have anything else. We'll get to some phone calls. You know, I I was saying about, uh, let me think how long ago it was, about seven or eight years ago, that the idea of sticking another diesel engine on the side of the truck just didn't make any sense to me. Ten and $12,000 for an APU still burns fuel, still needs oil changes, still needs maintenance. And, you know, we've already got a diesel engine there. We've got everything we need to produce power. But we got to the point where we just didn't want to idle that truck. And I was saying about seven or eight years ago, the internal combustion engine for an APU has got a limited lifespan. It, when battery technology catches up we will go to electric APUs and we'll provide all the comfort and the hotel loads under electric. And now you look at a truck like the Tesla or the Nikola, all that's just going to be built right in. You've already got the ability to generate and store the electricity. Why would you ever have you know, a, a, a fossil fuel run APU on that truck? So, you know, the idea of having those kinds of storage capabilities is going to make the truck a whole lot more comfortable to live in as well. Plus, we're going to have all these charging stations around because uh, we- it makes sense now. And when you think about it, electric charging stations, why couldn't we build them right at docks? There's no reason you couldn't. It, you could have a charging station at docks. It's not that expensive to put in, and the electric is already there at the
3: building. Oh, ab- absolutely. If that's possible now. We've got, he's a show listener, one of our customers, uh, Don Hoffman, has got, I believe, nine deep-cycle batteries on his truck, which is still way less than an APU, I believe. Yeah. Um, he's got the he's got the start module, and he's got nine batteries. So there are four on the truck and I believe five on the trailer. And he connects it with an Anderson plug. So he's got a a big, uh, HT plug and he's got a household type, uh, HVAC unit mounted on the back of his cab. And he said in the heat in Arizona, he could keep it cool. He said in the cold, he could keep it warm just fine. The batteries make it through the night. Absolutely. No problem. And that's with standard lead acid deep cycle boat batteries. So, you know, to me, that's, that's a, that's a no brainer. Uh, and interestingly, our company here in Pittsburgh that's doing the electrified axle, part of their deal is an APU. It, it's your APU as well. The battery pack for that axle will never let you down. I mean, you'll never have a problem, you know, uh, even if you were to run it down, as soon as you start rolling down and hit your brakes, you're going to start generating electricity again. Uh, it's no problem whatsoever. So that that's here and now. It really is. Uh and I don't know why I don't know why you'd hang an APU off the frame and, and have another engine to run and maintain and change the oil in and have a belt that goes bad and you know all all the trucks who come in with an APU half of them work uh, from what I've seen We've, the, the,
2: well, they're kept they're kept maintained and
3: in running order uh, indefinitely
2: I'll give I'll give you a reason why <laughs> get caught in a blizzard in Nebraska and you're sitting there for three <laughs> days your batteries if they're only going to last eight hours you're going to freeze for the next two days so you've got a little APU running, Um, Uh, at that point you may have to actually idle your truck a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I sat on on the other side of Donner Pass, waiting for three days for the chain law to be lifted. And I had the generator running for three days. I had it.
1: That's why we still have a big diesel engine under the hood, too. It'd keep me pretty warm if I needed it. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: yep. So, but, hey, as you guys see, I'm still old school. So. <laughs> I still love, I love diesel fuel and the sound of a diesel engine and the way it feels when you're rolling into the throttle. And, so. you, Maybe I'll have to go drive an electric car and see. But.
1: Oh, Bruce, you shouldn't. Don't go drive a Tesla, I'm warning you right now. You will.
3: If, if, I can't tell you how badly I want one. If you,
1: Bruce, if you go drive, uh, and they will do it. You can go down. I'm sure you have a mall somewhere in Pittsburgh that has a Tesla store, and you can call and they'll schedule a test drive. But I'm warning you, don't do it because you will be convinced. The, the performance is unlike anything you've ever
3: driven. yeah i've not been in i've not been in one yet uh i don't know if you uh did you did you start following my uh r- my friend rf on the that writes the barrens the once a week i did what a uh, great writer there was one oh he's awesome isn't he check out his ted talks too they're they're really cool uh the uh he wrote one about electric i don't know if it was in the one that i shared with you or not but about renting one through toro and i've seen toro around and I night at one point uh Something that you know, directed me toward them. But Toro's a car sharing app, basically. So rather than rental cars, you open up a Toro account and people have cars on Toro that they rent you, and you don't bother with the, the standard rental car agency. So it's a person you know who owns a car or two and they rent them out, and it's kind of like Airbnb for a car. And so he wrote in the one article to go to go on Toro and rent a Tesla off somebody and try it out, go drive it around for a couple of days. So of course I. My phone and check, and there's someone in Pittsburgh renting a Tesla for like eighty nine bucks a day. Wow! And I'm like, I'm just going to rent that thing for the weekend and
2: see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey, Kevin, can I have a turbo boost gauge on a Tesla? Because <laughs> I don't know if I could drive without a turbo boost gauge, you know. <laughs> I love looking at my boost gauge when I roll into the throttle, and a Tesla won't have that. Oh, it's exact- no, actually, it does. It won't be turbo boost. It'll be as amp straw.
3: Yeah. So you're going you're to look at that exactly the same way you look at a. Uh, you're going to look at yeah. that exactly the same way you would look at a boost gauge. Doesn't have the whistle. Doesn't have
2: the feel.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, Bruce. Here's the thing. On the Tesla, they've got this giant electronic display right in the middle of the dash that does all kinds of crazy stuff. I could write an app that would create all those things you want. A turbo boost, sound, all that stuff. You would never know the difference.
2: <laughs> what else? I still like the gauges that have the needle that go around. <laughs> <laughs> I still like it. Bruce, here's the thing. There's no reason... I I still love the 359 Peterbilt dash. It has gauges that are easy to read, the way they're set up. I mean, that was still the ultimate dashboard in all trucks, the 359. And uh, yeah. Anyway.
1: You know, Bruce, there isn't any reason we can't enjoy you both. Know the, this, you know, the, the potential with electric motors, it, it, I'm just blown away because I've been reading so much about it. But there isn't any reason... We still, you know, we have really advanced cars, and I know you enjoy a lot of the advanced features on your cars, but we still love muscle cars, too. There's no reason we can't, you know, watch watch the Barrett auctions and see what those things cost these days. So we can enjoy both.
2: You know, electric motors are for bench grinders and wire (laughs) wheels and... (laughs) sanders <laughs> and polishers and the blower in your furnace that's what electric motors are for <laughs> hey hey bruce I, I, we still need
1: our diesel engines i i was trying to figure out how we could adapt one of these electric motors to a ski nautique imagine how you know with that instant <laughs> torque come on you know how fast we come oh, out of the hole he oh, has one not? Uh, yeah
2: the boats are coming they're next yeah I mean, that's going to happen soon hinkling boat manufacturing they have an electric runabout now oh do they ah i just was reading a little bit about it this morning yeah yeah i don't you have to plug it in but (laughs) oh well i still prefer my diesel all
1: right well i do too but it's exciting to see uh what the what the future might hold what do you anything else or should we get to some calls
3: Let's let's go with
1: the calls. All right. Let's do that. Let's head off to uh, Connecticut to get started. Mike, welcome to the program.
7: Hey, Kevin. Hey, Bruce. Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I got two questions. Given the amount of time you guys are even talking about deselectrification and autonomous, I'm thinking you are not the only one it's probably gonna be one of those technologies that will probably have a really fast adoption rate and many of us who are driving diesel right now we are soon going to be referred to as operating legacy technology and so i have a question to bruce your operation is a facility that's servicing legacy technology. And how are you looking at this reality in terms of positioning your company going forward? How how do you guys look at this? Because you're just like us. We We're all uh, in business.
2: We had a dream of building a diesel electric truck and I've run into a group of doctors that are very successful and they have a fascination with heavy equipment and trucks. In fact, they even want to come and see our facility, and they live a state away. But I'm telling them, if they want to be part of this, come up with $8 million, and within nine months, we'll build the diesel electric truck. So we're looking at it that way. Well, hold that thought. We've got to get to a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about that and
1: more right after this. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Don't go away. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got uh, John and Bruce with me. We're going to get back to the phone calls. We were talking with Mike in Connecticut. So, uh, Bruce, go ahead.
2: So we're looking at, you know, we'd still like to build our our diesel electric truck. And if the other trucks all go to electric, there's still going to be truck maintenance that needs done. So... And I'm going to be 69 years old in February, so you're not going to have that many more years. You're going to have to listen to me talk.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to position myself and see how far we're going to be in this business. Uh, Well, I think that... uh, Go ahead. ahead. Uh, You're going to see hybridization first. Yeah. I was thinking that these vehicles don't need any... Elon Musk says it's going to be a million miles before you need any repairs. Yeah. And they don't need any fuel. So, uh, operationally, they're going to have to be adapted really fast. And if that happens en masse, if they can crank them out, uh, it's going to be hard to compete with somebody who has a thousand of these vehicles. <clears throat> and therefore, the, uh, uh, operationally, many uh, owner-operators might just have to adapt them, too, just to stay in business.
1: You know, it's I've been oh, doing this. Correct. I've been doing this thirty-two years, and I can look back over so many things that people predicted this will be the death of the owner-operator. Whether it was hours of service changes, speed limiters, on and on and on. So many people, intelligent people who understood the trucking industry, would make the claim. Owner operators will be gone in a couple years because of this. Now we're saying that again because of electric or autonomous, but I, I don't believe it. I, I just don't. I, it, that the the owner operators, the small independent carriers, are the backbone of the entire industry. They move more freight than anybody. The the big carriers don't even come close. We just the big carriers are so visible because they're big carriers and their name is all over the side of the truck and the trailer. But they move a very small percentage of the freight in this country. So this is a disruption. It's a big disruption. It's going to be going on for at least another decade. Um, And we don't know. You know, I I kept saying, watch, you know, don't stick your head in the sand and think these two things aren't coming. Autonomous and electric. They're both coming. But it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a long, long transition. We didn't go from horse and buggy to automobiles overnight. We didn't go from gasoline-powered trucks to diesel-powered trucks overnight. It was decades that, that the change took place. The same thing's going to happen here. We're still going to have internal combustion engines for a very, very long time. We're still going to have drivers in the truck for quite some time. And somebody you know, said to me today, you keep talking about watch out for the opportunities. What are they? Well, if I knew what they were, I'd probably be really rich. I, I don't know what they are. That that's why I'm saying we have to stay on top of the technology and, and we are gonna talk about it, even if we don't like it. Because somewhere I'm in this with, disruption. I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. We, <clears throat> good.
7: We gotta stay on top of this stuff, but but anyway, um my I'm I'm excited. I'd like to be in the cab of one of those vehicles but <laughs> At $180,000, I don't think so. I don't make that much money.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I get anyway, that. Um, but, you yeah, know, here's, I, um, here's the interesting okay. thing, though. Uh-huh. When you look at... I'm going to yeah. pick on the Nikola a little bit again. Um, when you look at the Nikola predicted to be $375,000, and the odds of it coming in less than that are slim to none, the odds of that price going up are probably more likely... That's a real stretch. You know, they're saying, well, we can lease it to you and all the savings, will make the payment. I get that. But that's, that's a lot of money to be committed to. I was blown away by yeah. the fact that Tesla thinks they can put this truck on the road for 180000 I think that's an amazing price. Whether they can or not, it's the same as the Nikola. The odds of that price going down are slim to none. The odds of it costing more by the time they really bring it to market, I think, are more likely. But that's not out of reach. $180,000 truck, we buy those today, um, you know, without any of these advantages. So I think that, you know, when you look at Tesla, if they can improve the range a little bit, if they build out the network, and all of those things are going to happen I would be really excited to be driving down the road with, with their autopilot. I would love to own one of those trucks. I, we're not quite there yet, but it's yeah. pretty exciting to see how close we
2: are.
7: Okay, so let's get on now.
2: I, I, hey, let me say one other thing. This sure. is a group of doctors that I'm talking to. They think it's all hype. They've been researching this. And they think there's a lot of government money behind it, and that's why you're hearing all the hype. It keeps the government money flowing. and their their answer to me was don't get too excited about it. And this was last week I had this conversation
1: with them. hey, hey, hey John, are you you ready to gang up on Sorry. Bruce on that one?
2: I
3: am, yeah. I, 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 you know, my feeling on it. Here's the it's, only uh, with government money or investor money or that doesn't doesn't matter. It's uh, they're proving concept and building infrastructure, and I'm sure garnering many patents that other people are gonna gonna need to buy off of them. And yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be handsomely com- compensated eventually. You know, the, the one thing I would
1: say the okay. the hydrogen electric is still kind of unproven, so I, I'm still a little skeptical about that. But but I'm I'm certainly not going to stand here and say it's not going to happen because it, it very well could. Right. We, but when you look
2: at Tesla, right, so let, let's look at one other thing. Let's look at one other thing. Our electric grid is maxed out in the summertime with air conditioners because of the environmentalists. We're not building any power plants. We're not building any power plants. If you talk to a nuclear physicist, they'll say. The nuclear power plant is as safe as we know how to make it, and they're very safe. When was the last time we built an, a new power plant in the U.S.?
1: We don't. I, I, I get that, but how, uh, how are
2: you going to charge all these? How are you going to charge all these trucks?
1: Tesla's already got the answer for
3: that. Yeah.
7: Four million of them.
3: He does, yeah, with the battery, his, his battery storage systems and it, and solar enough and, to, to cover the trucks, yeah, yeah and then some. It, and that's the whole point. Going to build enough solar panels to make that as right. long as he have somewhere to store it, he can. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's all about the battery technology. Just put that he it. just proved out in Australia. This this is coming. There's there's no doubt about it. Okay. That's when. Yeah. And it, it's not going to hurt. I don't think it's going to hurt at all. I think it's actually just a, just a change, and the owner operators will find a way to get into these things eventually. Uh, maybe they'll be second hand. You know, you're going to see a fleet or two is going to jump in immediately. That so we've already seen. Jump in! Uh, he proved that he could build. Uh, you know, build. It, it, so there could be thousands of trucks powered pretty easily. He's already got the supercharge stations all over the place. Those could become mega charge stations with with pretty simply. Um, it's it's possible.
2: Uh, it's it's all possible. I don't even think we yeah. have the labor force in this country to build it.
5: Yeah.
1: Well, now there's an interesting thought be because that. You know, let's think Mm -hmm. about that for a second, Bruce, because one of the things I hear people saying is, wait a minute, if we keep replacing people, you know, autonomous trucks, if we put all these people out of work, which, again, isn't going to happen anytime soon, but we are going to start disrupting. We're we're going to need less drivers sometime soon because of platooning, some autonomous technology. Again, it's going to happen slowly. But people keep saying, well, if we put everybody out of work, the economy will collapse because nobody will have a job. Well, we've been putting people out of work with machinery for well over 100 years. This is nothing new. And somehow we keep coming up with more and more jobs. And, Bruce, you just mentioned one. Who's going to build out all this infrastructure? Well, the people who are being put out of work by automation will go do it, I guess.
7: Yeah.
2: Well, I don't know. The millennials don't want to work anyway. I
3: know some hardworking <laughs> young people. Again, I'm going to have to disagree with you <laughs> there. <that.
2: laughs> God, number one reason for a lot of businesses going out of business is because they can't get employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now, As you what, drive around the United States, many help wanted signs do you see? I'm five miles from home, and there's seven help wanted signs.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's and that's in uh, the country. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It certainly gives us plenty Stephen to talk about. I have about. another question for you, sir. Yeah, Mike, go ahead.
7: Yeah, um, I'm looking at a 1999 Volvo that's been that has a blown out engine. It's an N an N14. It's been sitting in a yacht for three years. And uh, uh, Bruce, do you guys work on uh, Volvos?
2: Hold that thought. Well, we, we work wait. on N14. We work me... on it. Let me, let me get to a so break. Yeah, we'll we'll right, come we'll back, and we
1: game. will talk about that right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the calls. We were talking with Mike in Connecticut. Mike, go ahead.
7: So, um, I was if I get it for a really good price and I'm willing to invest the money for rebuilding the engine, am I looking at an out-of-frame or an in-frame? And the fact that it's been sitting around for three years, is, does that create extra complexity in this whole equation?
2: No, that does a- that's not the problem, the sitting for three years. We would like to know the total miles on it. If you're close to 2 million, then, yes, it should be out of the chassis. If it's if it's like a million and a half, a million point two, then we are okay. We can still do in chassis. But what determines is the wear on the main bearings, the deck surface of the block, the counterbores. Counterbores we can fix in chassis. We try to do everything in chassis. But right. I, and, and we, I, let me uh, say this. We, we are right. getting a tremendous amount of engines being shipped in here, uh, several 5EK cats. People are trying to really avoid this electronic log, and uh, the schedule is really getting backed up. Uh, engine work in here now than I've ever had in my life. So I'm telling people plan a month or two in advance whenever you're going to do a project like this.
7: Yeah, I don't have a problem with time. Even if it takes me three months, I just wasn't sure if I was getting into something that was going to cost a, a little bit more. Well, he told me that um, the motor water found its in uh, itself. Water went into the motor and uh, it took out the bearing. So, so it, if it took out a rod main bearing, and it's and and yeah.
2: it's a not a frame with a crankshaft. So, right. That's an expensive so rebuild.
7: What What are we looking at, at the very least?
2: Oh, I'm going to say being... parts and labor, once the engine's taken out and the machine work's done with a new crank and everything built back to a signature engine, the labor to put it all back together, you're going to be $42,000, $45,000. That's
7: the minimum we can do that for.
2: Well, I, you know, it all depends on... Do you want to do the manifold and the turbo and the damper and the balancer, all the things that make a great engine? It, uh, yep. it's all there. And the price of parts, okay. What the, what the okay. trucking industry has to realize is the engine manufacturers, and they've done this for 40 years, every six months, they raise the price of parts. And think about since 2003, when EGR came out, how many billions of dollars were lost by the engine manufacturers. Well, they don't make any money selling a new engine to the truck manufacturer. They make the money selling parts. So where do you think they get to make all that money back that they've lost on emissions? From selling the parts. And parts just keep okay. going up and up. So, so, Okay.
7: Appreciate your input.
2: All right. Thanks for the
7: Guys, call. You're we're, quite
1: welcome. We're going to head off to... Texas. Don, welcome to the program.
8: Hey, how are you today, Kevin? John, Bruce?
1: Good. What's on your mind? Good. How are you?
8: Not too much. Uh one quick thing, John. Uh, this is Don Hoffman, by the way. <laughs> hey, you, forgot you? The you? You? you forgot the solar panels. You forgot the solar panels on the roof. Ah, there you go. Oh you're the
3: man. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> So, hey, I researched so, that code you have. It's actually for, for high EGR flow, and there's an update to the arm that's a common occurrence with that that particular code. Not saying we don't have a, another issue, but uh, there's a common occurrence with that code that's uh, the actuator or the actuator arm for the EGR. So, uh, take a look at everything over on that side of the engine where the uh, EGR actuator and the arm are, make sure everything looks okay. High EGR flow, higher than called for. So, okay. it's not what I might have been. So, okay.
8: Okay. Uh, nothing to do with Dorothy then. <laughs> or everything to no, do exactly with. Dorothy. one of the two.
3: She's been she's been causing the other problem. As an update to some of the others out there, we've uh you had a cat a couple that uh, weren't flowing quite well enough and I just got a shipment of uh 2-inch toruses in to build the higher flow models in uh, mass. So, we'll uh we'll have that problem solved here very very soon. So, yep.
8: Cool. Uh, The reason I called today is I have a weird uh, symptom that just started uh, this week the other day. If you remember when I was in there a couple of months ago, we rebuilt the transmission on this truck uh, due to uh, 1.3 million miles and just wasn't shifting right. Now, um, currently I'm under a total weight right now of about 43,000 pounds and pulling a light hill against the wind, cruising at... uh, 13th or 12th gear it feels like the clutch starts shifts, uh, slipping because the RPMs rev way high and if i back it out and knock it down to 12th it does okay but sometimes it uh needs to go all the way down to 11th
3: wow okay we need to adjust the
2: clutch maybe this is uh isn't that one of those hydraulic clutches on that truck uh, i believe it is you're right you still have this? Well, I don't know which clutch we put in it. I it has to be in. We easy didn't put a, we that. didn't put a
8: clutch in it. The clutch was good.
3: Oh, we didn't do the clutch. Okay.
8: Take a No, look they said at the clutch was solo. good.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, yeah. When you got when you were in here, when we did it, when we had the transmission out.
4: Yeah,
3: uh, I've seen those solo clutches, the self-adjusting clutch, get hung up and not actually have the uh, the little there's there's an indicator inside of and you'll watch, let I me mean, think about that. There's there's a telltale inside that tells you the clutch health, which the guys would have looked at. But if it hangs up, if it doesn't self-adjust like it's supposed to, you could get into the situation. I would maybe, uh, if you whip into somewhere and have them take a look at that, that would probably be the be a smart move. And there's a procedure okay. online that I've seen for that clutch where you uh, reset the the self-adjuster. And it, uh, so it'll pick up and go again.
8: Okay, well, yeah, it doesn't—it doesn't slip when I'm taking off from a dead stop, or you know, it's just while I'm cruising, I hit a headwind or I hit a slight uphill. And like I said, I'm at forty-five thousand right now, and all of a sudden, it's like, it, like the clutch goes, is slipping, yeah, like it's you know.
3: Well, that would be the highest torque pulling away. You know, in the in the lower gears, is not uh, doesn't put a tremendous amount of torque on there. When you're in the higher gears, when you're you know up in tenth or or eleventh, twelfth, whatever, it's going to be. Uh, highest load on the clutch.
8: It
2: sounds to me like the hydraulic fluid's not coming all the way back. Or it's not returning, yeah. It could not be returning possibly as well.
3: But, yeah, where are you? What part of the world are you in?
8: Right now I'm uh, in the middle of nowhere, Texas. But the good thing is I'm headed towards a a trusted shop in Medford. So uh, I'll swing in there and have them
1: look at it.
3: Yeah, make sure that's it's returning the whole way and make sure the self-adjuster is not hung up.
1: All right. Uh, I have a question. How come everybody's always in the middle of nowhere? Isn't anybody ever on the edge of nowhere?
2: <laughs> well, it's easier to call the show, Kevin, whenever you're <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, because you don't have the obnoxious four-wheelers around you. <laughs> All right. Let's, you know, the uh, people that are texting and those, not funny. Those are the kind
1: of things that keep me awake at night. Let's, uh, let's try to get to one more call. Let's go to Mississippi. <laughs> Steve, welcome to the program.
9: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I really have a, uh, more of a comment here. had asked uh, Kevin why some of us resist uh, technology. And I have found in the past that it always ends up costing me money. A lot of this technology gets tossed out there, in my opinion, before it's proven. And then when it goes wrong, I I get a blank look with a shoulder shrug. And they're like, well, you did this because you're driving in the truck. And I go, well, I'm really not that bright. And by the way, Bruce, long live the 359 and the big Cam 3, brother. (laughs) I drove, I was hauling the same amount, 80,000 pounds from point A to point B with that truck. And all this technology I have in this old 14 feet that I have now, it rides nice, nice looking truck.
2: But I'll take that Big Cam 3 and a 359 any day. I no. tell you, the Big Cam 3 built our way to five. just a, It's still a great engine, and we have people building them every day. And thank you for your comment. And I want to add to that. Once a week on my iPhone, some ISO.2 something update. They always want to update my cell phone. I keep saying no. They do it during the night and then I have to take the damn thing to the cell phone place to figure out what they did and why it won't work the way it used to. And I didn't ask right. them to change that. So I agree with all that. And, and get off my lawn, too. <laughs> now you, can on my grass, you can walk on my grass all you want. But, you know, in the Bible somewhere, it said the, the, meek, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, they did, and they did it with technology. So all of our lives are com- by computer geeks now. And we can't even see them. We can't talk to them. We can't do anything with them.
9: Well, with everything that's been going on, with all the technology, the engine, all that sort of stuff, I'm down to the point that it takes me so much more time to do what I did, even the paperwork and whatnot. The emailing the logs in, emailing the loads and whatnot. It was easier to just fill it out and mail it in. And I had more times to myself. Like you said, they make these changes on you. And then if you don't want it or it doesn't work, well, that's more of my time that gets taken away. And, I, and I'm just saying that I understand we need the technology to move on, but I, I feel that it needs to be 100% proven before i got to wow. buy it, and then it doesn't work, and then i got to well, fix it. That, that's the I, one. Steve, I don't
1: disagree with most of what you said, except I will disagree with that. You'll never release a product that's 100% proven, ever. My whole philosophy is ready, fire. Aim. That's how things work. I've got to get out of here. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Power Hour. Thanks to Bruce and John from Pittsburgh Power. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks everyone. Your
5: money. Your taxes. Your truck.